Hello, everyone. It's me, Allison. How is it going? Um, I'm in Hawaii right now. It's beautiful here and not the worst place to adjust to the reality that um, your father has died. Actually, some people have also been through that experience have, well, specifically Allie Ward was like, um, it might be nice to have like different sights and smells and stuff like that as you just, uh, as the numbness wears off. Because that's what I'm realizing is that the very beginning, there was some numbness, which I think is, it serves a purpose. It, it helps you at the very beginning. But the first few mornings, I would wake up with this feeling of like, I'm okay. Like I would look down and like check my limbs, like look around, you know, the house and like, I'm okay. Okay. I'm okay. Um, and I am okay. But that initial like, oh my God, I, this is, I haven't ceased to exist like I thought I might has given way just to more general sadness. It does seem to peak at 7 p.m. no matter what time zone I'm in. 7 p.m. for some reason is when it just seems to really uh, crest. But I'm also waking up kind of sad. And then this morning I woke up in a real bitchy mood. So, but that's something that Daniel can talk about on his podcast. Um, So anyway, (laughs) hang on one second. I got distracted, but I'm back. I do not have any privacy here. Um, And that's okay. So anyway, yes, I am okay. Um, I will be back to doing fresh episodes shortly. And I was trying, I've really gone back and forth about which episode to do an encore of. I haven't decided, am I embracing the summer of grief? Like, is this going to be a series of episodes that deal in some way with grief? Uh, and because I don't want to bum everyone. Oh, by the way, I just recorded Allison and Todd After Hours. That's my podcast that I do with Todd Perry. If you're interested, which please be patreon.com slash Allison and Todd, Allison with one L, Todd with one D. It's just $2 a month. There's only one level. But anyway, we just recorded a couple of those episodes for this month. And uh, the first one dealt pretty head on with grief because he lost his dad back in December. I do, it, there were jokes in it, though. I don't think it was like sad, sad, sad. But at the same time, every time I talk about it, I can't help but feel like, am I pushing people away? But at the same time, I've been receiving so many messages from people saying that my discussing it has been helping them, uh, you know, work through some of their losses and make them feel less alone. So I am going to, I've just, hang on. I'm recording something, Daniel. Daniel, sweetie, I'm recording. Can you close those doors? See what I'm saying, guys? It's just, this is not ideal. Can you close the other door? It's just not ideal recording circumstances. Um, so anyway, I have lost my train of thought. This is everyone's fault, but my own. I am victim to this recording 
why must I be punished in this way? I'm just trying to record something. What the fuck was I saying? Let's see here. Um, da, 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 something, death, loss. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have decided, and I've decided this because it's the easiest thing to decide, that helping people is important. And if some people are like, I can't take this level of sadness, then I also understand. And um, don't worry. It's not, it's, it's not exclusively that, and it's not going to be like that for that long anyway. So like I said, couldn't figure out what episode to run. And then I remembered there was an episode that I recorded back in 2014 with Duncan Trussell that where we dealt with loss and death and spirituality. And it was a really special episode. I haven't listened back to it in a long time, so I do not remember specifically what it was about, but I know that he had lost his mom. And it if it was 2014, then it wasn't that long before that I had lost Oliver Daniel and my first dog, who really was like a a child to us. Um, so I was deep in that. But it was a really kind of magical, hopeful, deep episode. Dun- that's Duncan Trussell is like a very deep guy. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that episode. And also, I will say, if you guys have listened to me for a long time, you know that I was very devastated by the tragic sudden loss of Oliver, a very different kind of death than losing my dad, where he he was not snatched out of life suddenly. It was not a traumatic surprise. It was a surprise, but in a different way. And one thing I will say about losing a parent is that the general message I've been getting from people is you know, losing a parent is huge and take all the time you need and like very nice understanding stuff versus when you lose a pet, unless someone else has also been kind of devastated by the loss of their pet, it's people are kind about it, but it's, it's not, there's not this understanding that this might be a thing that really fucking floors you. And I just want to say, and I know that there's people who haven't had this experience, so they might not agree. Loss is loss. Grief is grief. And that loss was in many ways harder to adjust to than this one. And I felt like I don't know how I can put the pieces of my life back together more after that one than this one. Now, I think sometimes... Or, or rather, in some way, I think it might be because I have been through loss before. So it's like that Hello Darkness, my old friend, um, keeps popping into my head. It's a very melancholy thought. But I just, a little bit, it's like, oh, I have experienced grief before. I'm not specifically talking about Oliver. I'm talking about um, a friend of mine died when I was in my very early 20s. And it was I was very... Um, rocked by that experience and are impacted by that experience. So it's like like the the shape of grief, I'd say I'm somewhat familiar with, even though this is the first time I'm losing a parent. Um, I don't really know what my point was. I think it was just 
a defense against this idea that you should somehow be able to get over losing a pet fast because it's an animal and not a person. Because I really think it's less about the act. It's twofold. Loss is twofold. It's the actual person or the actual being, and then it's who they were to you. Anyway, obviously I'm like well on my way to becoming a grief counselor and also winning a Nobel Prize and a Pulitzer Prize and um, a Peabody Award. Daniel, what are some awards that I could win for my excellence in discussing grief? Yeah, I've already named Peabody. I've got Nobel, Pulitzer, Peabody. What else can you win? Oh, like a, a Caldecott medal and a Newbery medal, like for children's fiction. When I do that, can you think of any more awards? Uh, the, a Razzie, yeah, the Razzie. Uh, a BAFTA. The, the, the Norman D. What's the Norman D. Schweitzer award? Know, it. Is it Normandy or Norman D? Norman D. And also the Rockefeller award and um, a James Beard award. What other awards are there? If you can think of any awards, let me know. Anyway, enjoy the episode. I love you all. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen, and I'm sitting here with one of my favorite people, Duncan Trussell. He was on the podcast. I couldn't remember how long ago it was, and I looked it up. It was almost exactly two years ago. Holy shit. Yeah, because I posted the episode October 14th, 2012. Time doesn't exist, does it? Seems like I never left. Really? It seems like it's been a long time. Oh, really? Well, maybe not two whole years, though. Time is weird like that, though. Yeah. It's confusing. I don't know. I, I think my experience, I'm terrified. I, I never experienced time. So it's just, I mean, I do, but it's, you know, you go on vacation and the vacation's over before the vacation starts. Like you're on the plane going back. And does that make you wonder sometimes why even go on a vacation yes. in more like existentially bleak moments? Yes. If you already can feel the end of it before you go. Yeah. But then the problem with that is if you take that all the way to its extension, why even be alive? Because you're going to die, man. That's what I'm saying. Well, really, I mean, why? Well, the idea would be, I imagine, to figure out a way so that your entire existence has the feeling that you are going for on your vacation. Right. You know, that. Like it, you're wearing shorts and you're having fun. Yeah. You're just like <laughs> supremely relaxed. You're exploring where, whatever beach you're at. You're drinking and just, and why wouldn't you want that for your entire life? How are you doing cultivating that in your whole life? I must admit, I think that I want, I've been wanting you to come back on the podcast for a long time and I'm really happy you're here. And I think part of it selfishly is just that I think that you're, every time I talk to you, I come away or, or listen to you on a podcast, I come away feeling so 
inspired and calm. And I think of you as super enlightened and kind of like a little, I'm going to blow, I'm blowing some serious smoke up your, up your butt. I think of you as just like a little further along on the journey than so many people. Um, so I'm just hoping to soak some of that up because I've been depressed lately. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, why? What's going That's a bad question when someone says they, do you have a reason? Oh, I do. I do. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I, but my listeners know, um, so my my little dog, who was like my child, uh, was killed when my husband and I were on our honeymoon. Uh. And it's been a couple months, and there are certain people who are like, really, still a couple months? But uh. it's just... Who says that? Just jerks. Who says that? Right? Do you have demons around you? That's like a <laughs> goblin thing to say. Like something that lives in a swamp that's never felt love would be like, two monsters still be on that. Thank you. <laughs> the vast majority of people have been really cool, but there, there. I guess there is that element which makes me feel like I need to to justify it a little bit. It's just the loss is just crazy and intense and immense, and like the the circumstances were so upsetting, and it was confusing because he he didn't die. He got attacked, but he didn't die right away. He was you know, at the vet for four days. And at first mm. we thought he was going to survive. And then it all of a sudden took a nosedive. And then now mm. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure he was in the right facility. I, I think he probably should have been in a 24 hour critical care facility, which is not, my parents are watching. That's not where they took him. Um, they didn't know any better. I, at the time, didn't really know those places existed. I don't know if the outcome could have been different, but there's just, there's so many different upsetting levels of it. And it's just sort of settled into a, this like, ugh feeling that I have of sadness. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is really, really hard. That is so hard because those dogs, they are, I mean, that's, that's unfiltered, pure love. Yeah. And when you have that contact with truth that comes when one of those sweet darlings goes away, two months, you're going to, you have to let yourself feel, first of all, it's not like you have control over your emotions. You're not a robot. Thank you. So if someone's like two months, it's like, guess what? I'm not a cyborg. I don't have an emotion <laughs> chip that I can download and upgrade to for when your dog dies, you psycho. <laughs> so it's could be, it could be years. Yeah. It could, there's, you just have to give yourself permission to be brokenhearted. Because that's the gift anything love that, that, that loves you will give you. That's like the great gift. The first gift they give you is love. The second gift they give you is a broken heart. Or, you, yeah, that's it. Because, you know, everyone dies. Everything dies. So the broken heart experience is actually considered by a lot of people to be that's the greatest space to, ha- to grow as a person. Well, there is that sort of sad awareness that, you know... Maybe this, this feeling, this realization, this um, closeness with the, the transient nature of existence, like this is seeing the world more clearly. Yes. But that's it, right. I don't like it. Well, you're resist. I don't like means I'm resisting the truth. And yeah, that, it's not a comfortable initially. It's not a very comfortable thing to realize what's really cooking here. You know, right. I, just, I read this God awful essay in Vice magazine by a forensic 
doctor, a forensic investigator whose job was to go to crime scenes where, you know, the worst thing that can ever happen has just happened. And he was describing the experience of going to a crime scene where a grandmother had just run over her granddaughter's head. Mm. And he was like having to look under the car to take pictures of her brain hanging off of the bottom of the car. And he described it as like meaty icicles. And then he went on to describe the grandmother's expression of being in this intolerable, impossible, nightmarish place. And he was saying this is a this is how a person comes into contact with the reality of the universe that we exist within, which is that that hap- that does happen. That happens every single day. It's an impermanent universe. Things that you love all go away. And so when that happens, you experience this thing called heartbreak, crisis, but really what you're experiencing is a kind of shift from delusion to truth, and that rapid shift creates this vertigo that we call a broken heart, but it really is just a direct contact with, and it's sad, not to like intellectualize the fucking thing. No, let's intellectualize it. I'm fine with that. But that's an escape. Yeah, I know. That's, well, that's the other thing is that I've been in all these different, you know, as part of, and I know that, that you know grief as well. Um, you, yeah. You lost your mom since we yeah. last talked, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I knew, you know, she was dying for many years and my heart is still broken from that. But uh, a, your dog suddenly vanishing unexpectedly in such a, a terrible way is broken heart's a broken heart it just is it's the hierarchical like well my heart is only slightly broken no way (laughs) well and that's the thing that's what my husband has been saying that is that you know in response to the people who feel like somehow a pet you should just get over faster than a person or something it's like your heart doesn't know the difference when your heart loves it just it loves like you don't hold part of it back but so anyway what I was going to say about the intellectualizing of all the different stages of grief is that I've you know, been in this phase of really trying to get get answers and to understand because me- I know what the vets told me. You know, this happened, this happened, this happened, and, I, and I'm the person who's like, "But why? Like, why? That doesn't make sense to me. Why did this happen? Why does this happen?" And some, of, I recognize that a large. I'm sure this is a phase of grief, but to me, it's an important phase. To but then you know, it's like, well, am I just trying to push away the grief? But I don't think so because it's not like I'm happy while I'm doing it. Well, I just it, I sort of I'm the, the kind of person who. To the degree that I can get a narrative that makes sense, I feel better with that than just occasionally the jaws of life reach down, snatch something from you, and that's it. Yes. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's not really it. I, I, I don't believe that it's it. I'm, I'm not an atheist or a – I don't believe that it's it. I, but the um, inexpressible is something that's so frustrating to the mind that when – when it, you experience it, you do kind of you, you try to create any kind of form or structure yeah. to help rationalize that facet of the universe that you call the jaws of life. I, I just referred to it that way, although it was actually the jaws of an Alaskan Malamute that came down. But I mean, yeah, this idea that it just something you care about can be ripped away <sighs> because then there's this anxiety afterwards of how impermanent is everything around me? You know, who who's who's mm. going next? Right. That's an that's it. Yeah, that is the uh, 
that is the a great place to be. And your mind is going to try to come up with it because I guess the somewhere instinctually you figure, well, if I can understand why this happened, then I can prevent something next time. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's like your mind just trying to make sense of a thing that jams up the that just disrupts the machine. Like, you know, in uh, episodes of cheesy sci-fi movies, if you ask the robot just the right thing, <laughs> it'll like malfunction, cannot process, right. cannot process. That's what existence is to the human mind. There you go. Exactly. That's what the experience of truth is to a conditioned being that's living in a paradigm that doesn't match what reality is. And when it hits you, you're like, eh, not function. Why? What? Right. what? Where did the mouth? Ma- where did the Malamute come from? Or why did the vet do this? Or why did the, you're trying to understand, you're trying to apply meaning to something. Right. You can't, you just can't. It's just, it happens. And then here you are in this moment and you're experiencing a broken heart. And, uh, this is a thing Jack Cornfield talks about how, uh, there was some rabbi who, um, would have all his students hold, uh, I guess the scriptures, the Torah, the, to their chest. And when they were praying, you would have them hold it to their chest. And one of his students asked him, why do you have us hold the scriptures to our chest when we're reciting them? And he said, well, I do that so that when your heart breaks, they'll fall in. And that it's it's the idea that that's, that's the, when you're open. Yeah, that's when it's time to really because now here you are dealing with the truth instead of the the, the you're dealing with the big T truth mm-hmm. instead of the little T truth, which is I got to get home, got to get got to got to got to go to work, got to get home and check my bank account going to send some mail, got to return some emails. And this is the daily ritual that everybody's engaged in generally in the time that we're existing in. That's a little T truth. But the big T truth. That's what you're in right now, which is that the jaws of life inevitably are actively taking away every single thing that you think is going to be around forever. And finally, it ends with you and your body. And that is the big T truth. And it is fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) That's my other favorite thing or another favorite thing about you. Uh, this is going to be a rapid change in tone and theme and content, but you'll say things and you're being totally sincere and just the way you say it totally cracks me up. Like when you first came in here and you're like, so professional. (laughs) It is professional. This is an amazingly professional, beautiful studio that you've got going on here. And, uh, it's great. It's really cool. The cameras, I'm sure the sound's really good. It's really cool. (laughs) So I wish... I could embrace these moments of big T truth. Do you? Because instead of embracing it, I'm just like, uh, this feels terrible. I hate this. I think that's part of embracing it. Is it's it's you know the idea is to um, the pro- it's not this the, what's breaking your heart or what's causing all the pain is not so much reality but the resistance to reality. So it's that thing when you start surrendering, and I believe that's, isn't that the, what are the phases of grief? Isn't the final? Acceptance is the final one. Acceptance, and another word for that would be surrender, and that is the moment that you you finally just surrender to the the big T truth as much as you can, then it becomes a million times less painful. But it's that, I can't believe this is happening. I'm not going to believe it's happening. I'm going to bargain. Maybe I'll wake up from the terrible dream. Maybe the, the more you do that, the more you're just going to extend the 
the the experience because the you really can't I mean, the, it's the resistance everyone says that again and again it's the resistance that's causing all the problems not the thing itself it's the resi- you know like when you're whatever the next time you get bored or the next time you find yourself doing something that you wish you weren't doing if you just study what's causing all the pain it's not the thing that you don't want to do it's the resistance to the thing itself right and resistance to a feeling which is a big thing that i have i know that that always creates creates uh distress what feeling are you resisting um well i think my whole my whole life well, something that I'm always working towards is just trusting my instincts more, trusting my perceptions. But I think growing up, any sort of strong negative feeling I would feel, I would question it. And then I would try, you know, come up with some reason why it's not accurate. Mm. It, this is not that. And I look back and it's like it would have been so much easier just, yeah, something bad happened. That's OK. Or, you know, yeah, there was rejection there. That's OK. As opposed to always trying to talk myself out of it right. or be talked out of it. Um, cheer up. Yeah. That thing where you try to, yeah, right. You're, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. That's well, where, where it gets really weird is the idea that the feel like if you remove the, so something will happen and then you'll feel bad. That's the common notion of the way human beings right. exist. So some of ev- events, like, 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 let's say a breakup or something. Cause that's something that everyone knows how you feel bad after a breakup. Breakup happens and now you're feeling bad. But if you study the way that you're feeling bad, like if you just sit with the feeling of of loss, heartbreak, the sadness, the loneliness, the anger, the grief, the denial, all of it, then you'll recognize that it's just the same feeling that you've been having your entire life, but it's underneath all the levels of distraction that you've desperately been piling on top of it in this kind of pathetic attempt to avoid the fact that you're always feeling like shit or suffering. And that's the first noble truth of Buddhism, that life is suffering. And that that's just the innate, uh, that is being human. Being The feeling of a broken heart is what it is to be a human. And we pile on top of that all these things to try to avoid dealing with that feeling. And so it's like whack-a-mole. When the right. when the feeling emerges, because your layers of um, the layers that you have placed over that feeling were no longer able to hold it back. When that mole of heartbreak comes exploding up out of your pathetic <laughs> barriers that you've created to try to resist feeling, then you get this rare moment. To actually experience unbridled humanness, and it's a thing to be celebrated, not resisted, and to 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 let happen. It's like a quick window opens up where you can look into the universe when you've been existing in a in a windowless room, and you get this one chance to observe it because it will go away again. It, you will cover it back up. Oh, thank God! It will. Be. <laughs> I know. <laughs> when <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um. Yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting how much culture is designed to uh, not not embrace suffering, for sure. Yeah, no, you, you're always supposed to be happy. 
Like, you're always supposed to be feeling great. Everyone's supposed to be feeling great all the time. If someone's not feeling great, then they're malfunctioning. If someone's really, ha- like, happy and doing great, then the- everything's going right. Yeah, then we have to ask, how, how do you get to be that way? Yeah. What's your secret? What's your secret? And yeah. then I feel like they lie because no one is really that happy unless they're crazy. There you go. That's, well, that's the, that's it. So there you go. And that's one of the great conspiracies in the world. It's not the reptilian Illuminati. It's that probably most people underneath the layers and layers that they have created around this feeling in the center of the gobstopper is an essential kind of confusion or dissatisfaction with what's in Buddhism. It's called fundamental dissatisfaction, which is just this kind of thing where you realize like, God damn it, man, this new iPhone, it didn't work this time. <laughs> I didn't, it, I don't really feel better. The, you know, I got the new car, but I don't, just don't feel that great. Or I have more money than I've ever had, but I still don't feel that great. Or whatever it is, you, you it's the, this thing you can't escape, which is like, Oh shit. I still don't. Could the reason is it's like, if you're fucking thirsty, you have to drink water. You know, if you're thirsty, you have to drink water. If someone has filled a cup with air, you can pretend to be drinking air as long as you want, but you're still going to be thirsty. And so that fundamental dissatisfaction is something that originates from people trying to trying to alleviate a problem using tactics that only deepen and worsen the problem. So uh, what does help the problem? Vodka. <laughs> Just vodka and weed. That's what Buddha said. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know, so I have to take your word for it. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I, I don't know. I, I love reading this stuff, and, and every time I read it and get deeper into it, I, I always come back with a big, a big I don't I don't know. I know that they say that it's the root cause of the thing is is like if you look at the um uh there's a something called the samsaric mandala in buddhism and it's really cool it's this crazy geometric form where at the very center of it there is a snake there is a pig and there is a, a weird bird and these things represent the three fundamental causes of suffering in human existence and they are anger fear The snake is anger because it'll bite anything. The bird represents attachment. It's a type of bird that mates for life and it gets very attached to its mate. And then the pig is like fear or ignorance. I can't remember what the fucking pig means, but this is the center of this wheel of suffering that everybody is experiencing in the universe. And so another way to put it is resistance, aversion, and, and attraction are causing all of these problems. So theoretically, if you could remove aversion and if you could remove attraction, then you would remove the illusionary boundary that you've created based on the idea that by getting away from something or by getting to something, your suffering will be alleviated. It's this joke you keep playing on yourself, which is like just around one more corner and I'll feel better. Mm -hmm. Or if I can get away from this corner, I'll feel better. But every time you get around the corner, you don't really feel better. No, because you're still you. Yeah. Well, so I was just listening to your most recent episode that's up, um, and you were talking about how there's like a thing that comedians talk about, which is the depression that settles in after going on the Tonight Show. Yes, exactly right. It's like the big trick. 
there's when you dig, when you f- follow the treasure map that everyone told you to follow, you get it's fucking Geraldo. Remember when he opened Al yes, Capone's vault? And there was nothing in it. That's the essence of everything. <laughs> no, people didn't realize that Geraldo was putting out one of the great mystical secrets of the universe <laughs> intentionally, probably. He just knew that he couldn't come out and say it. He's like, right. I'm going to invent this fucking thing about this vault, make a big deal out of it. You open up Al Capone's vault. What was there? It's like a manila envelope, some Kleenex. I don't remember specific. I just know it was a big disappointment. Everybody was praying for a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, oh, this is it. He's going to open it up and bones or guts or some right. awful things in there. It's just some manila envelopes. That's the, that's the whole thing is that if you're seeking to get rewarded from some activity, quite often you realize, oh, fuck. Just a bunch of manila envelopes here at the height of success that I thought uh, here there's just not – there's just – Nothing. Well, so I wanted to ask you. Cause sounds depressing. I don't mean it to sound depressing. Sorry. I'm trying to think if it sounds depressing. Um, but also liberating. Yeah, it's liberating. <laughs> so you were talking on the same episode. You were saying that you aren't what you produce. Right. Like you have to get over this idea that you and your identity are the same thing as what you produce or that what you produce is a way to measure your value oh, yeah. as like a being. Um, but then I wondered, well, so where does art fit into that? Cause when you, when you're saying what you produce, do you mean including art? I was, I just posted a video to Instagram that have you seen the professional twerking video where this girl not. used to be a school teacher and she, now makes a shit ton of money from twerking. I heard about it. I'm not the video, but I've heard this, that this is a thing. She said one of the most profound things I've ever heard anyone say, which was, how can I have 1.9 million followers and feel so alone? <laughs> <laughs> so I took her <laughs> head and put it on top of a video of Jesus being crucified. Uh-huh. So I have this crucifixion of Jesus, but Jesus is saying, how can I have 1.9 million followers? <laughs> right. It looks really cool. It's really trippy. And I put that up on Instagram and uh, I, I was with my girlfriend just staring into my phone, refresh, refresh to see what people said. And she's like, what are you doing? Is that is that why you're doing this stuff? Because you want to see the response you're getting from the world? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. I'm like, of course. <laughs> but then when I thought about it, it's like, oh, right. Yeah, no, that's just a that's a, an afterthought that I'm addicted to. But really that feeling that it comes through you when you're making something based on inspiration is so much better than the feeling of people being like, that's awesome. Well, and oftentimes, at least for me, being attached to the reactions can make it harder next time you try to feel the inspiration. Oh God. That's how, yeah, you, it can, you definitely can get backed into a corner. Like, because now you're trying to be good at something or you're trying to do something good instead of whatever you were doing at first, which is usually just becoming a, a, a hopefully a conduit or it's this effortless thing. Like nobody tries to make a baby in the, in the uterus. There's there in, in the sense that no one's like, okay, time to start working on the lungs now <laughs> or time to start forming the skeleton of the baby it's an effortless, magical process that happens inside a woman's body that creates life in the universe. And all that she is doing is 
taking care of herself and getting enough food, but the essence of the thing is being done completely spontaneously with zero effort. And so if that makes all of human life, it seems that that state of consciousness must also make every good thing in the world. And the more you're in that state, the more you will look at something and be like, how the fuck did I make that? I couldn't have, what, what the fuck? I, I did that. You know, in the same way, I think that when a mother sees a child, it's like, oh my God, this came out of me. It's a miracle. But that she's not thinking, right. God, I remember spending those two <laughs> difficult weeks working on getting your liver to grow. She's just like, wow, this emerged from the nothingness into the somethingness. So that's the, that feeling of like, holy shit, I'm doing it. Wow, it feels like flying or something. That's way better than a bunch of hearts on Instagram. Yeah. But the hearts are good, too. <laughs> right. So keep them coming. Yeah. You're just not too attached to the outcome. <laughs> yeah, you have a right to your action. You do not have a right to the fruits of your action. That's in the Bhagavad Gita. And I, I think about that all the time, uh, which is that forget about the result. Forget about the result. So you get off stage or you have a podcast that's a little wonky, whatever. That's just the way it went. But if you just get over the addiction to result-oriented behavior and just stay in the moment, who knows what can happen? It's That's where all the great metaphysical, mystical sparks start flying. So how have you been for the last couple of years? What have you been up to? Two years. I know. Two fucking years, man. Um I'm doing great. I've been uh I, I just did a podcast tour for the first time and I've never done that before, live podcasts, and it was so, so fun and I'm really excited about uh, doing these tour like realizing like holy shit, this thing actually works in front of have you ever done a live podcast? I have. Well I do live Adam Carolla shows quite a bit and then we've done mine um Three times? Yeah, three times live. It's amazing. Super fun. It's so fun. And actually, five times if you count the podcast festival. Yes. It's thrilling to realize that you that you could do these things in, in front and of an people want to come out and just hear a conversation. Yeah. And they love it. They they enjoy it. And they're get, I think, it, I don't know, it adds to the podcast. It The energy of the crowd like feeds into the thing. You get to meet people who listen to the podcast. Anyway, that is... I'm just thrilled about that right now. It's just a really exciting thing to realize that it's not limited to a room in my house, but that I can take it out on the road, which is really cool. So that's super exciting. And then um, I, I'm living with my girlfriend Congratulations. Now. I didn't Thank even you. know you were in a relationship. I don't think you were last time we talked. I don't think I was. No, but I met this super cool, super cool human. And now she's living with me and... Uh, it's really great. And so I'm pretty happy about that. And uh, I don't know. I, 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 I don't have any kind of I, – I just feel pretty good, you know? Good. And are you still living in the place – I went to your house when I did your podcast. Is that where you're living now? Uh, yes. Silver Lake. Yes, that's right. That's where I am now. How did you and the incredible human meet? Oh, my God. Through Twitter. I love that. It's where most people are meeting, not through Twitter, but most people are meeting online. So I don't have to feel, I don't think there yeah, should be any weird. negative stigma about that. But we just started talking and then um, then it was amazing. And then we just started hanging out and uh, you know how it goes. Uh, then, yeah, I don't know. So it's pretty cool. That kind of thing is really great because it 
that's the kind of thing I'm thinking. You know, like when you when you're experiencing love in your life, and you and the person you're in love with start trying to go back to the impossible coincidence or the 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 moment where you guys might never have met and it's fun to contemplate what what would our lives be like or what would have happened it's that kind of stuff is so cool to me the 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 massive paradigm shifts that can happen to your existence completely unexpectedly and always out of your control the best things are always what you don't expect i i do that and this i used to do it all the time like i feel like all the time my husband then boyfriend and I would have these conversations where we would go over the beginnings of how we met. Cause it sort of sounds like perhaps a similar thing because he sent me an email. He heard me on the show and then he read some stuff on my website, read articles that I'd written and just had, the, and I think we had watched videos and just had this sense that, Oh my God, I have to know her. I just feel like we would hit it off. I feel like we're, we look at the world the same way. But the crazy thing is that I feel like, doesn't it seem like ninety nine? Like if, if you heard, if you heard someone say that about someone they'd never met, you'd think, okay, good luck with that. Right. <laughs> but it turned out to be true. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it yeah. just happens. I mean, that's the thing. Like if you, whenever you find yourself in a hopeless situation, all you have to do is think back to the last time that you were alone and then suddenly out of the blue there it is it actually does happen right it really does happen and it's it's amazing it's just magical but i mean if he hadn't emailed me i don't know that we ever would have met you might not have met because and he i think debated whether i think he felt like this is crazy why am i i'm i'm writing to a stranger like this is and so he waited you know he put and then he's like no i and then he just did but anyway, yeah. So I, I love thinking back to those weird sort of any sort of like liminal time. Like it was reality was this way and then it shifted. I think if the news was more about those events, the micro events that are that create paradise in a person's life or cause them to level up in the video game that we're <laughs> playing, then the world would be so much better because so many people get caught up in the idea that the doldrums that they're experiencing are going to last forever. And they just don't. It, it, it the, the darkness does not last. It's impermanent. And it's the more that you really begin to realize that. It's a fun thing when you're feeling pain to recognize that it will ultimately change. The quality or whatever it is will change. The underlying dissatisfaction is a, is a result of resistance and trying to make the thing change. But the more you just sort of slide into what's happening, I think that gets you in a magical state of consciousness that makes husbands and boyfriends and girlfriends and job opportunities and synchronicities happen more often than if you're in a mind state where you think you're in a sort of spinning your wheels in the mud of whatever your particular predicament is. Yeah. I should be more open to the magic that exists in the universe. Yeah. I think that around the time I met Daniel, and certainly for a while after meeting him, I was, because to me that was kind of proof that this can happen. And then now that I think, and I hadn't really thought of it this way, now that I think about it, especially after Oliver died, that was that was our dog, but even this whole year, like I've been really pretty, not not feeling like the universe is very, very magical, just feeling sort of like, fuck, what is coming next? Right. And so that, okay, that's good that you know that, because once you get into that that mind state 
what you're doing is a, is a kind of magic or manifestation or a kind of, you know, about the observer effect in, um, so in art in, in, in quantum physics, there's a oh. thing called the observer <laughs> effect, which, um, is where the, the observer, the, the, the scientist, the person conducting the, exper- the experiment, the actual presence of a being in the room oh, changes it, changes it at a quantum level. And so the uh, idea is that once you – I had a friend who I can remember we were both – this is when I was really depressed many, many years ago. And we we're both just lamenting over our horrific lives in America where we have like money to eat, <laughs> right. cars, we're comedians. What are we weeping over here? But like plenty of weed. But I remember we were <laughs> doing that game you do with a friend when you're both feeling dark and just lamenting and lamenting. And I remember my friend being like, yep, <laughs> When things start going good, that's when I begin to worry because that <laughs> means something awful is about to happen. And uh, that's a spell. He didn't realize what he was doing was casting a spell or working a kind of uh, magic or working a kind of manifestation where by his expectation, he was actually subconsciously driving himself in the direction of catastrophe after catastrophe right. after catastrophe. And it all stems from the inability to experience gratitude for where you're at right now. That's like one of the one of the things that you can do. It's fun to do too. It's just practice like being grateful for really, really small things, like the fact that you can hold poop in your asshole. You know, like because a lot of people I have people never do- felt grateful about that, and I should, I guess. Oh my god, because some people can't. Like some right. people, it just goes flying out, and those people are called babies, and they don't care. <laughs> or old people too. But some, you know what I mean? Like that's in, that's a thing that people really have to deal with. Or you know, you start finding these very simple things that you can tune into and you can really the ability to balance for example Mm -hmm. or you know you it sounds boring at first but if you just spend a little time thinking about like holy fuck i'm able to stand up on two legs without falling down uh and if you can't do that if people are listening who can't do that there's something you can do you can you can hear you're able to translate shifts in the um uh, Very diplomatic choice. Anyone who's hearing this can hear. You can hear. At least you can hear. You have that ability, and and so it's like pl- plugging into that and see and figuring it. Or, or, or there's lots of different tricks, you know. Like I, what I do, you know, what I when what I think about with my mom dying is uh, that she, the way she's living is through the truth that she gave me. Like she still exists in this very moment with me right now through the great teaching that she gave me about impermanence. And that's the great gift. Your parents give you two major gifts. First gift is your life. And the second gift is the lesson of their death. Those are equally powerful gifts because one gives you life. The other one can make you be born again because it makes you realize that you're impermanent. So there's lots of ways to alchemically transmute uh, a, a, a dead mom or, or dog into a gift the, realizing it's in, and also understanding that this dog's still alive. It's just r- drastically changed form and it's gone from being a living, breathing, snuggly little thing, snuggly little thing to being one of the great lessons of your life here on planet earth 
that's what the being is turned into. And you really do respect and love that being still by allowing it to teach you that stuff and allowing you to bring that energy into your life in a, for a feeling of gratitude for having come into contact with that being at all. I do try to look at it that way that, you know, we got a amazing year and a half of knowing this little guy. He was very young. Um, but just the, the anger and the like, what, what the fuck went wrong mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm still kind of stuck in that. Did you go through an angry phase with my mom? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. But again, it was years and years of her dying of cancer. So my angry phase did it happen while she was still alive? While she was still alive was the anger. It was just like just the ang- angry at her, angry at cancer, angry at the world, angry selfish anger, anger for losing my oh, – every kind of anger that there could possibly be happened. Yes. So that's actually a question I have. When, when someone – like when a loved one dies of cancer – when you have those years of knowing it's heading that way, what is the actual mourning like once you actually lose the person or what was it like for you? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a relief because they're not suffering anymore and because they're free and it's, it's still incredibly sad to not have, I mean, I have a phone number that I used to be able to call and get unconditional love anytime I dialed it. And I sometimes I think about dialing that fucking number, but I can't. That particular conduit for love no longer exists in the form that it existed in. But that doesn't mean it's gone. It's just changed shape. It's just changed form. And so, and I don't mean that like in the sense of like I'm going to trick myself into thinking I have an imaginary mommy (laughs) ghost hanging around me. Anyone who has lost someone knows that there is generally, and most people I've talked to agree with me, a palatable feeling of the presence of that being. And why that's there, what that is, I don't know. But I feel strangely closer to my mom now than I did when she was alive. And sometimes when the pain and the anger dissipates, if you sit quietly you can feel the presence of the thing still in your life. And that's a really confusing thing. And that's not limited to humans. That's with dogs, too, because, you know, you are destined to have that being in your life from the beginning of time. And that being represents a specific living part of the universe that is never going to go away. It's still here right now and that's uh, the breaking heart and the tears and all of that that's how you pay respects to that being for taking the time to spend some moments with you here in this infinite span that we currently are incarnated within great now i'm crying a tiny bit (laughs) oh you gotta cry that's the greatest thing when you're to let yourself too because it's so important to like god what a great feeling that is when you're sobbing and crying for with this loss because you feel it now and you can see that it's a sweet feeling well with that's something i've learned about mourning is that sometimes just when you're in that like inconsolable crying sad feeling that's an 
a better, more truthful feeling than the one where you're pushing it away, but you're still sad. Yeah. It's just right under the surface, you know. But that feeling about about feeling like the feeling closer to the 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 person or the thing that you lost. My husband will say that he feels like he feels close to Oliver. And I'm like, fuck, I, I feel like he's so far away. Like I can't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have that feeling. Mm-hmm. I just miss him. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm having trouble, you know, I, I've gone through different phases of like feeling like I can't remember what he looked like exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's just the intensity of the sadness that's like blocking all that other good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. It's just, you know, you're, you gotta, you, you have to, it's like turning, if you want to hear the river, you've got to turn the volume down a little bit on your radio. And then there's that river flowing right next to you the whole time. It's there the whole time, but don't be, don't be in a rush either. You just, you just let it, let it run its course. It'll run its course and then you'll start, but you can, your husband's right. He is there with you. They don't leave you. They stay with you. And I think they stay with you through the the whole thing. I think they just, I don't think they're in any rush to leave. I think they stay with you, parents, dogs, friends. And uh, when it first, ha- when it first happens, it's hard to believe. Like I can remember when I was in that phase that you're in right now talking to Ram Dass about my mom. And I don't know if I talked about this on your podcast, no. but he, I got to go to his house and hang out with him for a second. And which is a big deal to me. Cause he's one of the great teachers of my life. And he, uh, like I was sitting with him and, uh, said to him, Oh man, uh, I wish my mom were here right now because she loved you so much. And she would just, really liked that this was happening and uh he looked at me with this big grin that only like these awakened beings can get in, in the midst of a person's suffering and uh he's like she is here but it wasn't he meant it like he didn't mean he meant she's here right now and uh you know, being in the stage of grief that I was in, which is like, I'm like, well, that's a nice, sweet thing <laughs> to say, but come on, man. Fucking, she got sucked into oblivion, let's face <laughs> it. And she, she's cremated ashes, dust. Every neural connection that I ever inhabited in the form of memory has been transformed into ash. And whatever she was has been obli- obli- obliterated, annihilated, devoured by time. That's where I was at. Uh, but then we're talking a little bit more. And uh, his cat jumps up on on his uh, on his couch, and he's petting his cat. And he says, just out of the blue, he's like, points to the cat, and he's like, "She sleeps on my chest. Uh, she's she lays on my chest at night when I sleep." And I'm like, "Oh, that's cool." And <laughs> and you know, we had dinner, and I left. It was very sweet. I'm telling my brother about this whole experience, and I told him the cat thing, and my brother's like, "Duncan, you don't remember, do you?" I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Mom." used to talk about how our cat bill would sleep on her chest at night when she slept and 
that kind of coincidence, which is like, why the fuck, right after him telling me about my mom being in the room, would he say some kind of thing that my mom would talk about that was a very random thing about a cat sleeping on her chest? And I know you can listen and be skeptical and be like, well, everyone's cat sleeps on their fucking chest at night, <laughs> asshole. But it's not true. And in fact, in my life, only two people have ever told me about their fucking cat sleeping on their chest. And that's my mom. And I don't remember that. And Ram Dass, both of them, you know, directly after saying that somehow whatever my mom really was, was there with me. And so I think that that's uh, the way they work and the way really smart people work, too, is they don't blast you with by telling you like, and she wants to tell you you're OK, or that everything's OK. There's some clairvoyance will do that. Sometimes right. they're a little bit more subtle with it so that it gives you some time to process that. So I really do mean that Oliver is he is with you and that uh, your husband is right and that anybody listening who's lost somebody, if you just t- talk to them, people, was, there's got to be some skeptical atheists right now who are just gritting their fucking fingernails <laughs> into their hands. and right, They already, might have stopped listening they a stopped, while ago. <laughs> they probably stopped listening. But, uh, and I forgive me for all, all of you who's, who call this stuff woo-woo and are disgusted by it. But, it but is, there's a lot of people who are open to it, too. So we'll talk to them. Um uh, the, the, uh, it's not a one way conversation. There's no reason that you can't communicate with these beings even now. And a way to look at it, if you've got a skeptical mind, believe it or not, I do, is if you understand that, that everything is happening at once and that our neurology has created the illusion of time then that means the specific bit of organic matter that you have allowed to represent love in the form of Oliver is currently existing at this very moment and that you're connected to that being via kind of quantum spider web that exists through all time and space. And that is called the net of Indra, which is represents this like web of all happening things. And every single organism or living being is like a, diamond or jewel on this beautiful net where each access point where the access points meet and so that's the idea that we can really truly connect with anything that we've loved or haven't loved because it's all happening at once and if you were to zoom backwards and jump into the fourth dimension or whatever the dimension is outside of time and space then you would actually be witnessing those moments when you were with Oliver holding him and petting him and loving him and that that hasn't gone away at all but the illusion of time has created this sense of that being not being with you anymore. That's when I wish we could just be like, I'm going to be in the multiverse. I'm going to jump over there right now or, or wherever this alternate reality where this thing didn't happen. I would like to be on that one right now. You got to have the guts to do it. Skip around. (laughs) You got to have the guts to do it. I mean, it takes some courage to allow yourself to feel the love that you felt for Oliver as though you were in your arms right now. It takes a lot of courage to do that because it's, so goddamn painful, but you can do it. But you don't have to do it right away. It, but it, you will be able to. God, I must sound like an ass. Who do I fucking think I am? Shirley MacLaine? <laughs> what the fuck am I talking about? I didn't get to stop eating weed. Okay, well, here's a question since we're talking about the phases of grief. Did you have guilt? Oh, God. I mean, oh, I was such a turd. See, that's the thing, something that I've been realizing about loss is that it seems like no matter what the circumstances are, whether any of the guilt is actually warranted, intense guilt accompanies, it's just one of the phases of mourning, right? Yeah, but they don't care. 
They don't care. They just love you and they just want you to be happy and they don't want you to suffer because of them and they don't want you to feel broken. I mean, they don't want you to feel like you did something wrong. All they, it's there exactly the way they were when they were with you in a physical form, only now they're free of the, the, that. So I don't, I think that whatever the energy is that's out there, it does not want you to feel right. It's just like, it's okay. Guaranteed you did the best you could with what you had. Guaranteed. Guaranteed you did not, uh, you didn't, you didn't, it's not like you intentionally made that thing happen. And guaranteed anything that you did over the course of that sweet dog's life, everything you did was based on loving that creature. And with parents, it's a little bit more complicated because parents are a hell of a lot more difficult to train than dogs. <laughs> Good luck. And uh, we could never housebreak my mom. <laughs> But we tried. But you, you know, you know what I mean. It's really hard to. Yeah. to it's more complex, and so you're going right. to have like all these other things going on. But I think the first thing that happens when they blast into that great, infinite hot tub of love that might exist between this world and the next. A lot of people say you get to exist in that, or when the thing. Because I here's the thing. You know that amazing realization when the worst thing that you've been dreading happens, and you realize it's not as bad as you thought. Mm-hmm. And quite often, it's like not even bad at all. I think that's what death is like. I think when you die, a lot of, it gets compared to taking a shoe off that's too tight. Like you've been wearing a tight fucking oh, that shoe. That is a good feeling. Or removing your bra. Ah, <laughs> you get to take off the meaty bra of your body and experience <laughs> the complete connection to all things. And I think it's a really incredible feeling or an incredible state of consciousness or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And I think that what happens when they're there is as much as they can, they start trying to send you messages, uh, which, is, which all involve live your life and enjoy it and be happy and love as many people as you can and whatever you do don't feel guilty because where i'm at right now is so much better than that place that you happen to be in right now i'm on summer break motherfucker (laughs) that's what it is i think it's a kind of summer break i don't think they say motherfucker but i think that the, the the thing is way 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 cooler than here this place is considered a reflection have you ever heard that before no of what of the of the actual universe, like the the material universe is compared to the reflection of like branches of a tree on a lake that are kind of shimmering and moving, and that's where everything here doesn't quite feel real because it's not. And when you uh, finally evacuate the premises, then it's like where you go to is where where. Anyway, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it is all oblivion, and Dawkins is right, <laughs> but uh, I don't believe that. So, a question, and I bet I asked this of you last time. I'm gonna ask it again though. Given all the the reading and practice you do, um, do you? I mean, like, let me find what what am I trying to I'm trying to ask? I'm trying to ask: Do you tend toward depression or anger or like what are your weaknesses? Horrible anger, horrible anger. Oh God, I'm such a cunt and and such a mean, weasley little bastard when I when I'm not taking care of myself and when I let myself go I just revert to this manipulative punishing shithead who like just really you're manipulative oh god like how you know just like if if something's triggered me always through in a relationship or something but if like I'm things aren't going the way that I want them to if I'm feeling scared of losing somebody instead of saying to them 
which is what you should always do when you're feeling scared of losing someone. I love you so much and I just want you in my life. Express that. That takes guts. Do that. Sit down with somebody you love that you're afraid of losing and that fear is manifesting in the form of jealousy. Sit down with them and just be like, I just want you to know I care about you so much. I'm so happy you're with me. I feel so vulnerable because I know that I could be incredibly hurt if you left me. Say that instead of, what was the guy's name that you're going to go hang out with tonight? Oh, you know him from where? Oh, really? I guess you guys are great friends, huh? (laughs) That kind of shit, you know, which a lot of people do. And that's what you do? Oh, well, I'm working on it, man. I think that's like the cool thing about, you know, relationships is they give you this fantastic chance to like turn fear into love in a real active hands-on kind of way and they also get let you experience what happens when you don't pull that terrible maneuver that difficult maneuver off uh but yeah so yeah man and and i yeah i'm i really am sorry if i come off as like i think i come off too much as like like i know what i'm talking about and i'm sorry about that no i I don't i don't think that's i mean you said you come off like you know what you're talking about, but not in a holier than thou way. Oh, good. No, no, you come off as very human. Great. I just want to know what are the 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 more human qualities. Fear, that, like, what do you deal with? Anger, addiction to video games, eat too much chocolate, uh, don't meditate enough, need to exercise more, not eating enough gluten free products, and um, what else? Um. Shit, uh, addicted to going to prostitutes. I'm just kidding. That part's <laughs> not true. But uh, uh, everything, uh, yeah. I mean, God, that's the thing. It, it, it never. You got to be. I, I just try to be when when the demon comes out and I become an asshole. I just try as much as I can to like instead of sticking to the narrative that justifies being an asshole, which I think a lot of people do. Yeah. I try as quickly as I can when I come down from the from that state of righteous anger to to admit my faults to the person and just explain to them that I'm really, really sorry. And that's all you can. And then you have to forgive yourself and hopefully you won't do it again. See, I grew up around people who, by and large, I would say are pretty afraid of ever apologizing because if you apologize, then that makes you vulnerable. And that, I mean, everyone who has any sort of fucked up anything, I think, oftentimes came from something even more fucked up. That's right. So I think that these were people who, if they ever admitted they fucked up, were then punished even harder for it. That's right. So they just go through life never admitting ever fucking up. It's hard to be around. It's hard to deal with people like that, though. If you're someone who's more on, who wants to have a more honest dialogue. You gotta. I mean, you just gotta be, you can't worry about what they're going to do. You have to be brave enough to express how vulnerable you actually feel instead of, um, you know, doing shitty things like sending a crappy dismissive (laughs) text, for example, which I've done. And um, uh, after a breakup, I I can't believe I let I, I remember texting after a breakup once. I'm so humiliated by this. I texted. I can't believe I let you into my life. Just stay away from me. <laughs> Something awful like that. Oh, I said, you're trash. Oh, wow. I said, you're trash. That's 
that's uh who the fuck harsh. do i think i am simon cowell like when do i ever call anyone trash anyway like what am i i'm trash we're all trash in that way but i really remember texting that i was kind of drunk and i'm just like oh i'm gonna really never have it yeah and but part 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 of what i was doing was just trying to detonate it so that it yeah. could truly end but anyway it was weak and 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 uh and dumb and um, and and ridiculous when really what I should have texted was, I'm so sorry. I hope you forgive me and I forgive you or whatever fucking shit. I didn't feel at all. But the 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 trick is to mo- instead because that's easy. Mm-hmm. Sending a cunty text <laughs> is the easiest thing on earth. There's nothing easier than that. It's easier than saying a cunty thing. It's, to someone's face. It's the ultimate cowardice. You're sending a little electronic volley of negativity into right. somebody's brain. It's easy. But you want to try something fucking hard. Call somebody up who you have a problem with. I feel uncomfortable just hearing the beginning of this. I know. That's what's hard. Reconnect with somebody who in your life got unconnected because you were not adept enough at expressing how much they meant to you. Try that out for size. Do that. Just play, exactly. Just play around with like picking up your phone, bring their number up, look at their number and just feel the way that feels. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh God, that phone call is going to feel so fucking weird because the first thing you're going to think is what if they don't accept my apology? Yeah. What if they don't even remember what if it wasn't even that big a deal to them or I'm not that big a deal? And they're just like, whatever, man. OK, bye. That is when that happens. That is such a weird negation of you. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're like when you suspect that, no, it, they're just downplaying it. I feel like I've done that. I'm sure I've done that before. I'm like, oh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't even a thing. But we have a right to our actions. We do not have a right to the fruits of our actions. And so the idea is it's like, you know what? I don't give a fuck what they say back as much as I can. I'm doing this so that I can uh, transform a negative connection on that crazy net or web of Indra into something a little bit more positive. And even if in the moment they're like, whatever, fucking whatever, man, I don't care. Even if in that moment might later on in their life, it might, they might look back on that and be like, that felt pretty good. Or they might just be like that, that person had some fucking guts to do that. Or Ooh, here's a question. Now, now I'm just going to ask you my spiritual questions. What do you do if you're stuck on you feel like you deserve an apology and you're not getting it? Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. That's the uh, that's the Indra corner I'm in. Oh, yeah, you're expecting an apology from well, somebody. Well, I just there's things where it's the aforementioned people I was talking about who are uncomfortable ever apologizing, ever talking about it. It's like I'm upset. And until I feel like we've had a discussion and things are acknowledged, then it's like it's hard for my anger to dissipate. Oh, yeah. But really, I shouldn't shouldn't be so attached on hearing someone else say something. It's like if I know – see, I'm big on feeling like I need my reality validated. Mm. I, let's, all, let's all kind of come together and talk about what happened versus you want to believe this happened, you want to believe this happened. And it's like that makes me feel like, well, then – you're not validating the way I see something, but really I know that it should just be enough. I see it this way. That's it. Yeah. If only I was just thinking back two days ago to a friend of mine who got into AA literally like 
probably 15 years ago, 10 years ago or something, I was thinking back and two days ago and I thought that asshole should have made amends to me. Where were my fucking amends? This happened like 10 years ago and I'm still waiting for amends. What is that? I, t- I totally relate. <laughs> it's just hilarious yeah. that like you want that and, and, and I want that. Uh, and it's there. It's a real thing. You know, you want you want somebody to acknowledge something, I guess. But, man, I think the tra- the more you just start, what they say is work on yourself. That's all you can do. Yeah. It's an inside job. Work on yourself. Find a way to forgive yourself. Make amends to yourself, maybe. Maybe that's the trick, is to, like, figure out a way to understand that, to accept the fact that every single stupid, terrible, cunty, mean, negative, shitty, selfish thing that you did was, you did it because you were doing the best you could do. And that where you were at in your life at the time necessitated whatever the action is that you took. In the same way that when you get a rescue dog, if the dog bites your hand, you're not going to hold it against the dog forever. It's a fucking rescue dog. It mm-hmm. probably came from some lunatic's house where it was getting thrown into walls all day long or something. But in the same way, everyone's kind of a rescue dog in the sense that every single person gets shot out of a vagina into a dimension where they're actively being aerosolized by the power of time and eventually are going to disintegrate into nothingness. That's not exactly an easy predicament to get into for any living being that's aware of itself. I had a post-it note on my computer for the longest time that said they are abused rescue dogs. Um, I probably got that idea from your podcast because I was thinking there's there are people who – like their response to feeling threatened is to lash out. Uh, yeah, and if it, if this were a dog, I would understand that's what's going on. That's just what's going on. But they because they're humans and they use words, it doesn't feel like it at the time. But it's just this response to stimulus. I probably got that from you. I think I did. Yeah. Well, and when you realize that it's not just them, but it's you, you're the rescue no, no, dog. No, I'm perfect. <laughs> I'm above all oh, everything we're talking perfect. about. <laughs> you are perfect. Thank you. You're a perfect rescue dog. <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, no, I know it's all of us. Yeah, and that's kind of cool because you can start forgiving yourself for the stupid shit you did, whatever it was. And that's the trick. And maybe the more you start forgiving yourself, the more you'll stop thinking about getting an apology from some friend. You won't even think about that anymore because you'll start, you'll start like loving yourself. And that's a pretty, that's an interesting predicament to get in. Uh, something I thought was really funny on your podcast, you were talking about a barbershop and you were saying that your experience at a barbershop should be positive. You shouldn't feel like you're sitting around uh, around a bunch of extras from Sweeney Todd. Yes. I know exactly what you mean. Yes. And that does that. that uh, they're, they're out there and it's not cool. I go to a great barbershop, the new California, not sponsored by them at all. Anyone listening who lives in LA, it's in Echo Park. The guy who cuts my hair has become a dear friend of mine. He's And that's what you want from a barber. You do. You want somebody you can talk to who's fucking cool. You want your barber to be uh, way cooler than you. Mm-hmm. And my barber is cool as shit. He's so fun. I look forward to it. when I'm going there. I'm looking forward to talking to him because he's such an interesting guy. But yeah, Barbershop, the other kind, the barbershop you go to where it has that kind of country club snob feel where they're acting like, I don't know what they're acting like, but they're, they're not nice. They're acting like 
you and your four or five hundred dollars don't mind being parted somehow. I always I'm always amazed. Like, how did they shake down so much money out of me? Why? And I'm walking out with products that I don't think I want. Yeah. I don't know. You sound like you go to a Vader or something. Um, no, actually, the last couple times I've gone to a, you know, Christina Pajitsky, right? Yeah. I that's love so her. crazy. I just had her. On, I just had her on my podcast not an hour ago. Oh, really? And I, I bet it was a really there. good episode. It was a great episode. Yes. Well, she. I asked her where she got her haircut, and she told me, and so I've been going there. And it's like a super hip, cool salon. It's a fun time. I always look around, and I'm like, there's there's a lot of people who live in a very stylish fashion that I don't. Oh, God, But it's expensive yeah. as all shit. It is. It's expensive to groom a human. <laughs> it really is. It is. Human groom. If you if you were allowed to keep humans as pets, that would suck. Because I guess you babies are like that. It's, it's ex- yeah, but you don't have to really groom them. They right. Don't have, they don't have the hair yet. They don't have the coat. They don't have the that coat. That needs grooming. Let's do Just Smear Everyone. Okay. Sometimes I ponder on something. Jill Cosgrove says, every time a winner thanks the other nominees, I get nervous they are going to forget a name. This she's talking about like at award shows, mm. I imagine. No, I don't have that. I haven't I'll get now I will. Yeah. She's Thanks, infected Jill. me with that. <laughs> Thanks. Jesse Cowan says, just me or everyone, I'm driven mad by the end of the day uh, due to f- Oh, I'm driven mad by the end of the day due to phantom phone vibrations in my pocket, even with no phone. I will go through phases where I will get that, even though I never keep my phone in my pocket. Yeah, me too. And I'm like, why do I feel like it's a vibration in my leg? Me too. That's a, it's been, I think people have studied that. That's really? like an interesting new, there's a name for that, which is like these new mini neuroses that spring up as a result of brand new technology in the because that's a brand new problem. Right. Humans did not experience that in the Phantom in the eighties. Neil says, "Just me or everyone lose the ability to see until blinking a few times after rubbing my eyes with my finger with some vigor." Yeah, I think so. Doesn't everyone? Because I think you're you're pushing on your eyeballs. I so think then, for a second, yeah. Yeah. Wait, lose the ability to so just randomly he goes blind. No, I don't think. He, I think he's talking about when you. Let's say when you rub your eyes and then you can't see clearly for a few seconds afterwards. It takes a while for oh, the focus after to rubbing, come back. Yeah, yeah, that's everybody. Yeah. Is, here's a just me or everyone, a personal one. I can't see that well first thing in the morning. takes a little while for my eyes to focus. This is after a lifetime of perfect vision and it's only lately that I'm noticing that I like – a dog food can, I have to like kind of pull it away from my eyes a little bit or what, or like text on my iPhone sometimes. Is that every morning? Um, cause I get that every now and then, but I can't replicate it. It's not guaranteed. I think it might be every morning for me. Huh. Yeah. When I first wake up, it's like a little bit blurry. I have a just mirror everyone, but from last night, like I realized that more and more as I get older at the end of a movie, no matter what the content of that movie was, it looks like I've been crying the whole time because I've been keeping my eyes open and not blinking enough and tears are just streaming Aww. down my face. <laughs> That's sweet. That's it, like well, it, wasn't, it wasn't that sweet coming out of John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> I got to see that. It's super violent, right? It's super violent. I can't wait. However, if I had been crying after the first, like, seven minutes of that movie, that would have been totally understandable. The oh, shit yeah. that they do to that dog is fucked up. So yeah. You need to stay away from that movie. I will never see. I just, on the Adam Carolla show, Bob Bryan was talking about it, and I felt traumatized just hearing, do you know, a dog, know. A dog dies or I a know. puppy. They kill his <sighs> baby. They don't 
really this... show anything all that graphic happening to the dog, but it's a real vibe. There is a there is an extremely eerie shot that I don't want to ruin anything, but it, it's fucking devastating if you like animals. This is one of the classic techniques of hyper violent movies. Which used to, as far as I'm aware, this is like in, for example, the an earlier example of John Wick would be, God, what was the movie about the vigilante? Taken. The is, vi- Taken is a good. Taken. Before that, the vigilante. What the old school movies about the guy would go into shitty neighborhoods and start killing everybody. Oh, uh, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I do. I, uh, what's his name? God damn it, I can't remember. I can't believe I. But anyway, the movies would all start off with like an old lady getting raped or thrown into a yeah total out innocent. of a fu- you know but if you set up a movie with enough senseless violence to an innocent being then it somehow justifies it allows you to enjoy watching them countless get, people right. get murdered oh it, it and it works i mean you want every motherfucker involved like to go down it's because is it because of the dog's yeah. death so it the is. whole thing is avenging the dog's death yeah the dog this doesn't spoil anything, but the, his wife dies of cancer, and she knew she was dying. So the day she dies, he goes home, and he gets a delivery of this puppy and a letter from his wife saying, oh. like, you have to love something. You can't turn inward. Uh, love this dog. Uh, uh, and he's, like, resistant at first, and then he, like, comes to love it, and they become friends, and then... And they kill it in a horrible way, right? It's not just, like... Um... There's no IV injection, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> yeah, it's violent. By the way, this isn't a spoiler. It's in the preview. Yeah, right? yeah you that's, are... that's no spoiler. I don't want to explain the scene that really but, I mean, got me. But even just shooting the dog in the head would be... No, no, this is worse than that. Yeah, fuck. This is, this is blunt force. Oh! Uh, it doesn't die right away. Oh, my God. Oh, fuck that. What an that. awful movie. Oh, no, that. It, it's a great movie. Is it actually good? I mean, I don't think you'd like it. I would but never Duncan see it. Duncan would love it. If I'm you like, go. if you like hyperviolent movies, oh, it's everything. I do. It is, it is uh, everything you want it to be and more. It's not. It's not so real. You walk out of it smiling. You know, I. You know, it's like the price you pay if you want to be able to sit back and enjoy people getting murdered for an hour. Then yeah, you gotta you watch to a puppy like die. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, I wanted to ask you. You mentioned you're trying to create a virtual reality Christ. Yes. Explain this. So um, basically, you know, the Oculus Rift is VR goggles that you can put on and experience anything. And so I'm trying to get people to build for me a virtual crucifixion experience where you can put on the Oculus Rift and experience Jesus's POV hanging on the cross, getting crucified, Look to the left, there's a thief. I think to the right of him, there was another thief. You could see the Roman guards and the people weeping. And you can, you know, have the option to say the few things that Christ said up there, which was, I'm thirsty. Um, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. And it is finished or something. I can't remember all of them, but there's only like five or six things he said. So it's perfect for a video game. Cause like, I think you could put all those on an Xbox controller, like a says into your hands, I commend my spirit or whatever, but this will be an intro. It's like an art experiment because I, I'm curious about how fundamentalists are going to react to it. Is it blasphemous to have Jesus's POV? Because up until this point, Probably. all Jesus pictures are looking at him, not through him. 
But everybody says, let Jesus into your heart. But anyway, the thing I'm really excited about it, aside from just ex- everybody wants to experience what it would be like to be Jesus, because that would just be interesting. But the other thing I'm excited about is it's modifiable, which means that I want other programmers or designers to be able to, instead of it being Roman guards, it could be cats <laughs> and crucifying you yeah. or the cross. If you put in a special code, can like shoot out of the ground and you could fly around the Roman guards shooting lasers out of the cross to blow them up. It turns into like a fun game where you're like flying. Yeah, like that's where it might get blasphemous. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's a curious. Like- but it's going to be an interesting line because everyone is going to draw that line at a different point. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's really cool. Yeah, I think it could be so fun. And also someone is going to make it. I mean, someone's going to make a virtual Jesus experience for, for, for the Oculus Rift or, or uh, uh, wearable technology. But, uh, you know, there's only one time to do the first VR Christ. And I'm just trying to fan the flames of that. I don't know how to do design or how to code or anything like that. But on my message board, if anyone listening knows how to do this stuff and is interested, there's a thread where hopefully someone is taking charge to make it happen. Is Oculus Rift available now? Sort of. The developer kits are. So like if you're a, yeah, you can buy, you can buy what won't be a retail unit so it's it's very expensive. It's like twelve hundred bucks, I think. And four hundred, friend. Four hundred. Oh, they dropped it. Well, when I yeah, every I I have both versions. I have the early version and the newest version, and both of them are like four fifty, five hundred. Probably if you go wow. on, if you buy one off of Amazon, it's probably like twelve hundred or yeah, something like that. Or the, not Amazon. I mean, uh, um, Craigslist, Craigslist or something. Yeah. But yeah, four fifty, five hundred. It's badass, man. I've been playing that new Alien Isolation game on the Rift, and I've put it on five of my friends and every single one screams like a baby when that (laughs) alien attacks them it's so fucking scary it's so scary it's almost unbearable it's really really cool tech it's gonna be interesting to see how it catches on so it's are you so it's glasses it's like a helmet almost but like where where are you seeing the images are they right in front of your eyes so it's like ski goggles is what it looks like but and essentially what it is is a cell phone that's been or a tablet that's been placed into uh ski goggles that have lenses in them uh and the ski goggles have uh the ability to track head motion and then there's a peripheral thing that you stick above your computer that monitors uh, when you're leaning down. So like in, v- in if you're in VR space with a new Rift, the DK2, you can actually, like if there's a table, you can look underneath the table. Oh, neat. It's so cool. Yeah, you could like look under and up. So instead of using a video game controller to control like what you're looking at, it's you you can use your body. You're using a video game controller, but they have, you know, there's like, someone was developing a thing, which is essentially like a, a, a surface that you would wear socks on. And it's got this weird ring around it that you can like, so you can walk on this like slanted slick surface Mm -hmm. wearing socks against this ring that you're in. It gives you the illusion of walking. I've never tried that, but Google is making, have you heard about the thing Google's making? 
Yeah, which one? What's that? The Google's. It's the V. Their version of yeah. VR. What's that thing called? It's called. I don't know. I'll look it up. It's got this. Sony's w- developing one too. The one Google is making is top secret. It's gone through the second phase of funding and it has received more money for the second phase of funding of a startup than any other thing ever has, like five hundred million dollars. Wow. But they, it is some kind of. No one knows what it is yet because. But everyone who's talking about it says it's a million times cooler than you can imagine. But it's some kind of technology that people are speculating projects instead of wearing a goggle goggles. It somehow projects an image into your eyeballs that gives the illusion of like what the picture that everyone has been gawking over is someone holding a baby elephant in their hand. So it's some kind of augmented reality thing where sitting in the room could be like a an an animal in your yeah. own room or you know which is so fucking cool if they figure out a way to do that which is like it's so fun to imagine going to someone's house and as part of their design of their house their interior design they have virtual beings right or whatever existing in their house that's pretty cool of course i'm just like virtual oliver <laughs> yeah well, yeah, that's the... I, I mean, mean, I guess that is the thing. If you think about at some point, going back into your photo album will have a totally different meaning, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's the craziest thing to, to realize that you're going to be able to scan old family photos, put them into three-dimensional space using some kind of engine, which I've already heard that they have. Have you heard about that? The, the, I don't know what it's on, it's, but it's like a way to scan... 2D images and expand them into extrude them into 3D space. Yeah, I've been reading about that, but I don't know enough about it. it to, it's wild. It's really cool. So, but if you could do that, like if you could ex- if you could take a, a 2D representation of anything and then put it into 3D space, then that it only makes sense that you could then animate it, right? Or assign an artificial intelligence to it. And then with whatever this technology is, theoretically, the thing could come walking into your room as a kind of holographic representation imbued with an artificial intelligence. And in a way, it's like some shadowy, half-living thing. I remember many years ago, I wrote for this magazine. It was like tech art culture. It's called Access Magazine. And they had a party at this virtual reality arcade. Did you ever go to a place like that? I don't know if they had them everywhere. It was in San Diego. And it was just video games, but they were all virtual reality. And they really weren't that cool at all. So it sounds like it's come a long way. I went to a party where they had a special Oculus Rift experience where you put on the Rift and you are sitting in a loft and there's a guy at the piano who's playing piano. It's video, so it looks real. There's a guy sitting in front of you, like, playing piano, smoking a cigarette. He's being very familiar with you. It feels like you're at a friend's house who's like, I'm just going to play this for you. And, you know, he's being really relaxed. You turn around and look, and you're in this loft. And it feels so real and so intimate and so intense. Uh But it's just such a simple experience, but it's kind of short-wiring your brain because you don't understand, like, who the fuck is this guy? Why is he acting like he knows me? Where? What is this? Because our minds aren't used to suddenly being in a whole new environment just by putting a thing on our face. It confuses the mind. And when you take the rift off, people report 
this kind of like weird jet lag or VR lag experience that happens as your brain tries to understand how you could be in one place and then suddenly in a completely different place instantaneously. That's so neat. You, that was at a Oculus Rift event you yeah. went to? Yeah, that was a Rift event where they were just demoing all these new, all this new tech. But that was the, the the Rift that you can order now, the DK2. They say that it's already trash compared to the newest one that they have, which is almost the consumer based one, which is just apparently stunning. And when is it supposed to be available for consumers? No one knows. I've heard 2015, but I don't. I think we would have heard about it by now. So maybe 2016 or something. But so soon. soon. That's really cool. All right. Benjamin May says, when paying bills, get happy when the payment ends on a multiple of five. Nah, I don't really, I don't really care about it that way. Nope. I do have weird things with ones and fives and zeros. Uh, well, no, I'm fine. Like, I don't like to wake up on a zero or a five. And if I'm setting the microwave, I don't like to set it for a zero or a five. Because I feel like that's what everyone does. I like to, I typically just do like, I'll wake up at 8.01 or something. Just my way of being an individual. That's cool. <laughs> Mrs. B. Harper says, never in my post-college adult life have I had to do a works-cited page on a piece of my writing. Yeah, I think that's just college or if you do research after college, which is similar to college. Wait, wait, I don't understand. Is that the question? What's the... I think she's saying that she... Remember when you had to do a works-cited? Yeah, the worst. Yeah, she's saying that she's never had to do that since college, just her or everyone. Oh, right. I see. Yeah, that's everybody. Yeah. B. Slammon says, short socks slipping under my heel and kicks are uncomfortable and infuriating. Uh, others who it doesn't seem to bother makes me nuts. Yeah. Who, who would not be bothered by that? It's the worst. It's when your sock is not fulfilling its destiny of enveloping <laughs> your foot. I feel like they solved this problem in the last like six months. I no longer. It's now hard to find socks that don't have that rubber stuff built into the heel. Wow. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I don't about? have any rubber stuff in my heel. So, like, all the Tommy John stuff that we got sent and a lot of the stuff from, like, Uniqlo, and which is just a weird place I shop, like, they all have, like, rubber, like, little rubber strips in the heel so that it clings to your heel and it doesn't slip when you're walking. Cool. Smart. It's really smart. I need some updated socks. Phil, actually, I do. I feel like all of my socks decided around the same time to become threadbare around the heel and around the big toe. It's weird. That they, I mean, I guess it makes sense that they all did it around the same time because I bought them all around the same time. But yeah, This happens. makes me think of something. I, there was a great thread on Reddit where they said, what's some simple thing you can do that will radically change your life? And the first post was, go buy all new socks. And I did it. And holy fucking shit, <laughs> they were right. There's nothing greater than looking in your drawer yeah. and you've got a pile of brand new socks. It's so wonderful. It's really an easy thing to do. And it feels so fresh. What's better than fresh socks? You're right. It does. It gives you a spring in your step. It gives you a spring in your step. It just feels Versus good. Versus now where it's like, oh, I feel my shoe through my sock. Yeah, you feel like you're stepping in a coffin. You feel like you you feel yes. like you are robbing a grave and put on a dead person's sock. Some old moldering gross thing. You got to get new socks, friends. Phil Scrogg says the sound of somebody filing their nails makes my skin crawl. Um the feeling of having my nail filed like getting a manicure makes my skin crawl. But the sound of someone filing their nails, I'm okay with that. Although thinking about it is making my teeth uncomfortable. You know what? Me too. I was just like sucking on my teeth because of that. <laughs> my teeth yeah. are super uncomfortable oh. right now. Thinking about that. That's weird. Mallory says, just me or everyone, why do the last four to five tissues in a tissue box always come out clumped together? It's so inconvenient. You're right. 
they all decide to like give it up around the same time. It's conspiracy. To make you buy more tissues. Think about how much money a <laughs> tissue manufacturing company makes over the course of billions and Kimberly billions. Kimberly Clark. Please don't make me go get tissues right now. <laughs> this came up on the Adam Carolla show. Uh, Adam was talking about when you go to Starbucks, they will say room for cream, you know. And he's like, think about how much money they're saving by not giving you that coffee in the room for cream thing. And so then that uh, ultimately Kaylin had to go out and buy a bunch of coffees, some with room, some with not, so we could measure it. How much is it? What, what, what would Oceans. you say were the results of that? Not nearly as much as Adam was trying to make the point. Yes. <laughs> but over but still, time. I guess. You're well, looking Starbucks at Starbucks employees have called in and said that because they have to sh- throw coffee out after 25 minutes, like it's not. Oh, they're yeah. still yeah, throwing out. Basically, they're right, charging the you way too much saving. for coffee anyway. Right. Yeah, that makes no sense. No news there. <laughs> yeah. The Kevin KB says, and this is the last one. Just mirror everyone. Immediately fill up my Gatorade bottle with water for delicious Gator Water Waterade. I don't do that. I don't do it, but he that's cool. It's cool that he's okay with like very dilute. It's weird because um a splash of another flavor in my water just makes me feel like, oh, this is too dilute. Yeah, I I mean I, I think that he's a very hydrated person probably. <laughs> And he's like, just loves drinking water no matter what. You know, he could probably, if he enjoys drinking incredibly diluted Gatorade, he could make a bottle last for his entire life. You're right. Instead of drinking, what he should have is in his refrigerator, a bottle of Gatorade and another bottle of empty bottle of Gatorade that he adds water to and then puts tiny droplets of Gatorade into that. Only buy one bottle for the rest of your life, friend. Smart. Duncan Trussell, thank you so much for coming and being on my podcast. And also, thank you for letting me talk about my own shit much more than I intended to. Oh, God. No, thanks for t- talking with me about it. I mean, I that kind of stuff is really – I love talking about that stuff. It's so important. Every, any, everyone can relate. Everybody can relate to losing a pet or a parent. Fuck those goblins telling you two months. <laughs> and I guarantee you there will be a goblin or two who will climb up my ass about the fact that you're talking about losing a parent and I'm talking about losing a dog. And they'll be like, "How like totally rude and inappropriate for you to compare them and blah, blah, blah. By I, the way, I was not comparing them. I will compare them. I will compare them. Very, very comparable. I mean, it's like, oh, is love limited to form? Is that it? So it's like only human, the human form can create a specific kind of love. That's ridiculous. Anybody who says that shit has not owned a dog. I will yeah. bet that anybody who says that shit has not owned a dog, and if they own a dog, maybe they should not own a dog. Yeah, that it makes if they do own a dog and they don't understand the depth of that bond, it makes me feel like I feel sorry for your dog. Yeah, but I, yeah, exactly. So just no, dogs are ain't living. They're as close as we're gonna get to angels for sure. If dogs could fly and wore ropes, they would be <laughs> angels. I agree. Um, all right. So where should everyone go to find you and, and plug whatever you want to plug? Oh, great. Uh, you can go to DuncanTrussell.com and uh, listen to my podcast. And um, I've got a bunch of live podcasts coming up uh, for in a few months. But those dates aren't even up on my Who website. Who are your guests for the live podcast? You just find a new person in each I city? I fly people in. 
Wow. Yeah, I fly people in. I fly in guests that people really enjoy from the show. I just fly them out to, to and like have them as guests because people who listen to the podcast, they, they get attached to some of the guests. That's how I do it. Um, yeah, that's it. And it's really fun because I get to have new friends in every city and it's pretty cool. That's cool. And people can follow you on Twitter at Duncan Trussell. Yeah, two S, Duncan Trussell, two S's, two L's on Twitter. And if you're going to buy something on Amazon, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it does help out the show. And thank you so much for all of your Amazon support. We have a ringtone available. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. That's what I say to the goblins. Ah, oh, that's an awesome ringtone. You guys need this in your life. You can get that by searching Hey, Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone in the iTunes store. And we have two special bonus episodes available recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival. The first one with Doug Benson and Greg Proops. The next one with Doug Benson and musician Matt Costa and much of the Thursday gang. Those are $1.99 in the comedy album section of the iTunes store. You can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. You can follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. You can follow Gary at G. Patrick Smith. Kaylin, still not on social media good no for tweets you for me. <laughs> wild man i know hold out all right thank you again so much thanks for this having me what awesome. a blast and thank you guys for listening i love you goodbye hey do you know about the allison rosen show Yeah!